want apple juice. Lucas wants apple juice. I know, I heard him can say I that. Can I have apple juice? Yeah, you can have apple juice. Can I have soda? Yes, you can have soda. Can I press that button? No, you can't press that button. Why? Because that's going to play the theme song. I'm not ready to Click. start the pot. What is up, guys? James up here on High Pod. I'm Dad. It is Friday. It is hot. It is August. Welcome back to another edition of the show. Thank you. Wherever you found me, whether it's on HighPodImDad.com or any of the streaming services, I appreciate it. Like, subscribe, all that good stuff. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. I am here this week in the background. You might hear him. Uh, I have Lucas with me, my son. He is on his iPad, so Sesame Street. Please do not try to pull this for copyright infringement if you hear Ernie singing about living on the moon because I am not monetizing your <laughs> your content. This is just simply background noise of my life. Uh, one of the best things about doing this podcast, and I talked about it before, is that I can have my son here for these things uh, because a lot of the stuff I talk about is, is him. He's nonverbal. He has autism. He yells out a lot, right? You yell out. He's holding my hand. It's really kind of cute. But I spent a lot of my life, I know a lot of parents who were in my situation, kind of putting him in another room for so many things I had to do. And I don't mean in an embarrassment sense, I mean in a professional sense. There's so many times where I had to do, whether it was a a presentation or some sort of interview, professional interview, uh, whether it was for my website, a wrestling interview, or I'm interviewing a guest, or I'm interviewing for a job, or I'm talking to somebody about you know a high-level thing. And one of the problems that comes with my son, as you could hear right here, and him calling out, is that you never know what the what the call out is going to be. Whether it's going to be some calm little like, mm-hmm, you know, or a, a, a blood curdling scream of excitement, and it's never something bad. It's not something I have to run to. So if he's in the next room and he screams, it's not like I have to end the interview and go run to it. He's cool. He's just yelling and screaming and enjoy. So I don't have to go anywhere, but by the same token, I can't have blood-curdling screams in the background of my my interviews and the things I'm doing, and that's what makes life a little bit difficult when you have a child who, I don't even know if it's just nonverbal, and sometimes I say that and I worry that maybe I'm lumping everybody into the same thing, but a child who who does yell out at times of excitement, and that's what he is. But by doing this podcast and by talking about the things that I talk about, I'm able to have him here with me. Uh, so he's literally right next to me. He's laying here with his with his iPad. He's very comfortable. I'm thrilled, man. He's uh he's here today, as you can kind of tell. This is recording this in the morning. So just so you guys have an idea, my mornings without these kids are not the same by any stretch of the imagination. They're easier. Trust me, my mornings without my kids are ridiculously easier. That's something I'm starting to learn as, as we get further and further along in this divorce, this separation, this living in a different house and splitting the kids for half the week. I'm trying to explain to people, I have the way our weeks are situated. Some weeks I have my kids for like three days and some days it's four days. So it kind of alternates week to week to keep things equal. And I feel like on the weeks where I have them for four days, I feel like a dad whose kids go away for two days on a little weekend vacation and come back to me. That's how that week feels. On the weeks where I have them for three days, I feel like this 
swinging bachelor who ended up with these these kids dropped on his doorstep like a Disney movie. And it's a, it's a completely different feeling because I'm a different human being when these kids are here when they're not. And it's so bizarre because I feel like if I didn't have these kids, I would literally live in a, you know, in a, in a one bedroom and I'd be fine with it because I, I use like two rooms in this house when they're not here. I go down to the basement. Uh, I sit there. I play Xbox. I watch television. I come up to my bedroom. I go on the computer and watch television. I do a lot of just watching television. A lot of the things that I do are all in the same place. My exercise bike is downstairs in the basement. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I do up here in terms of work or up, you know, up in my room. So I only go to these really these two places. I go to other rooms and I have to clean. I'll clean the kitchen a little bit. I don't really eat all that much, which I know people give me a hard time about. So I'm not really in the kitchen a lot. That's not a big thing. The dining room, no one touches it. You know, the little eating area. Even when I do eat, I don't eat in the at the eating area. So that, that area is completely unused. I have a sitting room, which I think is a an adorable name for a room. That's why I named it that. It's got you know a couch. I have a projector on the wall. I don't really use that either. Don't go in the kids' rooms at all. I do. I get depressed when they when they leave. They'll literally leave, right? And then as soon as they leave, I start going through the house to clean it up a little bit to make sure that I I, I get all the kid clutter out of the way. And I go into their room. And it immediately feels like empty because those rooms are so alive when they're here. So I don't use those rooms. I don't use their bathroom. They have a, we have a bathroom in the upstairs hallway. Don't use it. So, so many different things go unused when they're not here. And then when they come back, suddenly the house is jumping alive again. There's people everywhere. I have two kids and I feel like I have 150 kids because everywhere you look, there is a kid. Whether Lucas is in the sitting room, bouncing onto the chair, whether they're like putting crumbs all over the dining room. I couldn't even find... The Dustbuster, um, when they came yesterday, because I hadn't used it since they left. So that was one of those things, too, where I was just like, wow, I, I haven't dustbusted anything since the kids were here. Because Lucas, I don't know, man, he makes crumbs without even eating. I don't know where they come from. He just creates crumbs. He's the crumb master. It's all over the place. So my mornings without these kids are very different than the mornings with these kids. In fact, the mornings that I don't have them, I get up when I get up. You know, I work from, from home, so I don't necessarily have to be up at a specific time. I don't have to do things at a specific time. I can work late. I can, you know, be up all hours. It doesn't really matter. Uh, with them, though, it requires a certain things I have to do. My daughter's pretty easy. You know, she's a teenager, so she gets up when she gets up. But this kid, this kid's up at like 5, 6 a.m., uh, especially when he has no school. School ended for the summer, so, you know, just show up. I wake up. I give him the iPad. He plays in his room for a little bit. We get dressed. We have breakfast. It's a whole system of things to do. And I got to tell you, although it is harder to remember to do these things, not remember to do these things, but to have to do these things first thing in the morning, it is so much better to do these things in the morning. I don't know if you guys know, but I get applauded when I wake up when my son is home. He applauds me. I don't know if the clapping is specifically for me or just for his life, but I wake up, I go into his room and he's clapping, he's jumping, he's smiling, he's hugging me. It makes you really genuinely feel loved. And that's one of those things that I know a lot of times it's cool as a parent to turn around and make jokes about how tough the kids are. You know, mommy needs vodka. Mommy needs caffeine. Mommy always needs something. Daddy doesn't need anything. I've noticed that. There's not a lot of those pages available, but it's usually about the moms who are so exhausted from their kids. Uh, I love my kids, man. My kids, if you really want to see what it's like to be a parent and to see the things that are important as a parent, Go a few days without your kids. And I guarantee you a lot of these whole like, oh, my kids are the reasons I drink and my kids are the reasons of this. You will, you will miss drinking and you will miss a lot of those, those things because they give you a purpose. 
And my kids really genuinely give me a purpose. So in the mornings, not having them, very simple, easy mornings. I crawl out of bed. I make myself coffee. I kind of amble up here a little bit. I fake my way through a few projects I have to do. And then I, don't know, I watch YouTube. I play Gardenscapes. Don't really think about it. But when I have them, it's just, it's a system, right, Lucas? System, right? You're not going to yell? Now you're going to yell. Hi. How are you? So we have a system. We do the things that we have to do, and I feel better about it. So I really, I love having these kids here. I love the way they make me feel. And as a parent, it's a, it's a big deal. And I think a lot of us, we need to cherish those things because I don't necessarily even think it's our kids that make us so upset. I think a lot of times our, our kids are just another project for us to complain about. A lot of us are just used to complaining, and that's something that I did for years. I used to complain about everything. You know, somebody would be like, how's your day? I'd be like, I'm exhausted. I'd be like, you're exhausted? I'd be like, I'm exhausted. Dude, dude. Hey, what are you doing? Coughing? Phantom coughs. Uh, but I think so often we, we complain about our lives. We're just, we're used to it. People say to you, like, how's work? Ah, work is work. You know, how are you feeling? Ah, I'm alive. You know, it's always this angry kind of, you know, throwaway thing. And for so many of us, the kids take up so much of our lives that it's just, it's a natural thing to be able to turn around and just complain about it. You just turn to somebody and be like, oh, these kids are going to be the death of me. This kid won't stop coughing. Stop coughing. Uh, and, you get, and you get a... You get upset about it, but in reality, I don't know, it makes up who we are. And I think a lot of us would would very much miss not having the kids here. I know I do. So having them here is a completely different thing, and it's wonderful, and I'm glad that he's here, and I'm glad that he could be in the room for this. The coughing notwithstanding, what are you doing? Do you need water? Here, drink this. Drink that. Uh, water notwithstanding, I think these kids are, uh, I mean, they make up who I am. So I'm, I'm really glad that they're here, and I'm glad that I could share them with you, and I'm glad that he could be in the room with me when I do these podcasts. It means a lot. It actually works to have him here for this because now we're going to head over to a special section of the show, words and phrases. We're going to talk about a word and phrase that definitely relates to my son, something I learned about um, once he was diagnosed, once we found out things about him. So without further ado, here it is, words and phrases. Words, 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 words. Words and phrases! This week's word and phrase is something that I know, and something that I know a lot of other parents in my situation know about, it's something called stimming. Ah, yeah, right? Stimming. Stimming is uh, something that my son does. It's something that other children on the spectrum might do as well. Stimming is that feeling of, you know, like when a, when a kid does something repeatedly because they get some sort of sensory relief from it, whether it's, you know, tapping a desk, whether it's, you know, Lucas used to go through books and he would flip each page of these board books with his finger, kind of like flip, flip, and kind of like crack it against his thumb. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you when you throw cards on a table, he would do that with the board book or, you know, maybe he would pull something in front of the mirror and look at it. It could be visual. It could be aud- you know, auditory. It could be, you know, some sort of texture or feeling, right? But it could be all sorts of different things. It could be what stimming is. And that's something that it's funny to me. Because I know we so closely associate it with autism. We so closely associate it with being on the spectrum. But I kind of feel like everybody does stimming. In some way or another, we all get relief from certain things we do. That's why they make these fidget cubes. That's why they make these spinners and things like that. Because there is some sort of gratification that comes with doing these things. It feels good. It feels nice. It's the repetition of it. I always talk about when I was a kid and I was five and we learned about metamorphosis in school. And for a solid week... I remember walking around just going, metamorphosis, metamorphosis. I'll never forget it. To this day, somebody says metamorphosis, and I just think of myself at five years old going, metamorphosis. You know, thank God nobody caught me doing this, but I remember it. I know I did it. Dude, hey, are you all right? What are you doing? 
don't understand this. I'm like, he'll be in the room for this. It'll be fine. He's like, I'm going to have a coughing fit. But I don't even think it's a real coughing fit. I just think it's just something that's happening over there. Uh, he's literally a foot away from me. So he's not dying. If you hear that, don't call anybody. Uh, this thing is taped anyway, so he's fine. But yeah, metamorphosis was my stimming. I know other people have gone through it too. And it's something that it, it's a delicate situation because you don't know how much to do, how much to go for, how much not to go for. You don't know whether or not you should, you know, stop it. And there were times in the beginning when he was little, you know, you put your, your hand on his hand and try to stop him from clapping. Clapping was a big one for him. Uh, different things he does. I'm convinced right now that this coughing is a part of it. One of those things that he's doing repeatedly because he's getting some sort of relief from it. So you deal with it. You let it go. But that's something that any parent to a child on the spectrum has to kind of come to grips with because I knew that I was aware somewhat of what stimming is. And I think a lot of us know certain forms of stimming. We know about flapping of the hands. Kids flap their hands, you know, they turn around, they get excited when they're on the spot, they get, you know, they do a little bit of flapping and yay, hooray. So, you know, they're not supposed to do that. That's supposedly a thing that, you know, we keep on the lookout for. So, I remember being conscious of it. I remember the first time watching him do the hand flapping. I think I've told the story before about having a family member who noticed it and said, oh, it's so cute when he flaps his little hands like that. And me being upset at this family member because I was dealing with this inner turmoil of, does my kid have autism? Is this something I should be concerned about? I wanted to grab them and be like, how could you say it's cute? This is the thing that gives me anxiety. It makes me worried. So I knew what it was, but I also knew that at that time period too, as a father of a kid who I was worried about him having autism, I would stop him. I would hold his hands. I would try to get him not to do that. But the older he got, the more I started to realize that maybe that was not the right thing to do. Maybe I shouldn't be stopping him from holding, you know, from clapping. I shouldn't be stopping him from stimming. I shouldn't be stopping him from doing these things. And there is a delicate balance. And when you talk to people, it's not a simple yes or no answer. It's not one of these things where you should let him stim all the time or you should never let him stim. There's definitely a middle ground between the two of them. On one hand, you don't want to take away his form of relief. I think everybody needs that output. Everybody needs the ability if they want, if it feels good to clap, clap. If it feels good to scream, scream. If it feels good to kind of flip around, as long as it's appropriate for the situation you're in. I mean, it's not appropriate to scream at a restaurant, but if you're at home alone, you want to do it, do it. You shouldn't have anyone stop you. By the same token, that shouldn't just become your regular go-to. It shouldn't be the only thing he does. He should play with toys correctly when he can. He should learn about things and the way the world works when he can. And that's my responsibility, to not let him do that every single day to not let him just go out there and, you know, repeatedly, you know, look in the mirror or do things, you know, that takes him out of the world that we live in. My goal as his dad is to allow him to live his life the way he wants to live it, but let him live it with us and show him that he could be a part of the group without having to do what the group is doing. He could do his own thing. He could be a part of us without having to always do our activities. He could play, he could stim, he could whatever. But if, as soon as it pulls him out of reality, as soon as it pulls him out of the situation, and that was one of the reasons that I take the iPad away at certain times. Like right now he has the iPad and he's great. And if I look over at him, I go, hey Luke, he's looking at me right now. Hey, hi. Right, so we're cool. It's when he's on his iPad and you can't get his attention that I know it's time to pull it away. If we're trying to get his attention or talk to him and he won't look up from it or he won't take his eyes off of it or he won't, you know, do things that he needs to do, whether it's, you know, get a cup of water or, you know, take off his shoes. If he won't do it because he's so engrossed in his iPad, that's when we take it away. And you know what? It's not some major revelation. It's something that, you know, all kids go through. If you have a kid who's watching television, and you can have a conversation, hey, Billy, did you do your homework? And they talk back to you, you're good. You know that your kid is fine. But if your kid is so plugged into that TV that they cannot be pulled away from it, 
then you know that the TV is no longer something that is healthy for them. Same thing with my son. Just because he has autism, just because the things that he does differ from what we're used to. It's not just television and it's not just, you know, baseball or whatever we put on little kids to do. Just because it's not those things doesn't mean that it's much different. Just because it might be something like clapping or it might be something like spinning around or laughing or whatever uh, doesn't mean it's some huge different thing. The second that he's so engrossed in that that he cannot fathom anything around him, that's when I try to pull him back and bring him back into the real world. And for me, that's the balance that I found with stimming and not stimming. Uh, I don't hold his hands to stop him from clapping, but I don't let him clap to the point where he's in a different world than us. I always try to keep him grounded. I always try to keep us all on the same wavelength. And that's why for any parent who's on the spectrum, and even if you're not, even if you don't have a child who's on the spectrum, even if you know somebody's on the spectrum or just part of uh, autism awareness and autism acceptance, it's important to know what stimming is. You know, you see people do it. You see them rocking back and forth. You see somebody maybe, you know, they're blinking their eyes a lot. And there's all different things that, you know, people on the spectrum do and just people who even aren't on the spectrum do. It's just a part of life. Uh, And for my son, it's, it's a part of his life. And it's something that I've learned to understand and something I've learned to make a part of what we do in our day to day. So that's it, Ryan. You just got to make sure it doesn't uh, drive you nuts. You want to try to keep those moments of sanity in your mind and in your life. And with that, that's the segue, kids. Here it is, your moment of sanity. Hi, Pod. This is your moment of sanity. All right. Yeah, this week's moment of sanity is a story that is not a huge story. And it's not the kind of thing that I think a lot of people would think twice about, but it's something that stayed with me for years, something I'm still thinking about today, something that's been a kind of a part of my life, a piece of information that I passed on to my daughter, something I've talked about in terms of looking at the world around me. Uh, and it's got so many arms to it and so many different things that have taught me about the world. And it was back in 2017, when I first started this blog, I worked at a gym. Uh, and I've talked about this a little bit. Uh, I had had a job. It was, it was a pretty good job. Didn't love it. I was away from my kids a great deal of the time, uh, wasn't really fulfilling, didn't love it, didn't really feel like it was making any difference. I had left, I had gone to work at this gym, and I loved it. it. ended up being one of my favorite jobs I ever had. And while I was at the gym, the gym manager was working on a newsletter. She would do this newsletter once a month, kind of talking about what was going on, the things that were happening, and we would do a member spotlight. And one of the spotlights was about this woman who had come in. And what they had her do was they had her fill out an interview. You know, what are your favorite things? She's like, I like cookies. I like to watch Dexter, that kind of stuff. So the manager was going to then write this interview up as a paragraph, just write it up as something that we could put in the newsletter. So she turned to me and she asked me if I could do it. And for me, it was simple. Uh, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And I did it within like five to 10 minutes because I write the way I would talk. So if I'm talking to you and telling you about this woman, I'd be like, you know, uh, Ellen likes cookies and Dexter. She comes to the gym every Thursday when she's not working at her job as a recruiter. She lights up the gym with her smile. Everyone's always happy to see her, that kind of stuff. And even now I'm ad-libbing this. I'm telling you guys this, this thing that's just coming to me in real time. But that's how I would write it. I would write it in real time. I would write it as if I was speaking and then I go at the end and I just go over it once and just make sure it's all polished and then I hand it over. And I did it. I did it within like five to 10 minutes and I remember giving it to her, not really thinking it was a big deal, thinking it was stupid. She was going to change it or whatever. And she stopped and she goes, uh, she goes, you see this right here that you just wrote? She's like, this would have taken me all afternoon. And I was like, really? This would have taken, and it kind of blew my mind because I never thought about it like that. 
I didn't think my work was amazing. I didn't think it was like some great writing. Even today, I write these blogs and they don't take me that long. And I don't think about them as great things. You know, I know I'm not, I'm not even being, this isn't false modesty. It's not where I'm just like, I don't know how amazing. I really don't. I don't read it. Because as somebody who creates something, and if you get somebody who does art, if you get somebody who does writing, somebody who does sculpting, anything they do, musicians, they will always pick apart their own work because there's always room for improvement. And that's how you continue to improve. You always see the flaws more than the, you know, the good parts to it. So my daughter has this love of decorating. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she still does, but she used to love it. Uh, she would play Roblox and these kids would give her Roblox points to build them houses. And she would build these amazing houses for these kids. And I remember telling her how great it was. And she goes, eh, it's not really that big of a deal. And I said it to her, this life lesson that I hadn't really vocalized yet, but I knew it in my head. And I go, now I'm like, you're amazing. And you have to know that because when you're good at something, you don't know you're good at it by looking at your work and thinking, my work is really good. Like you never really think my work is really good. You might a little bit, sometimes you might do something and be like, that was a good piece. But for the most part, you don't really think you're amazing at what you do. The way you know you're good at something is that you can't fathom that not everybody on earth can do it as easily as you can. You could do something easily and not even believe that everyone can't do it. And that's how you know you're good at something. And that's something I've learned. And that's something that, you know, has kind of guided me, whether it's writing or whether it's just other things and learning what I'm capable of and learning what, I'm, what is possible. And yeah, I mean, life is all about figuring out what you're capable of figuring out what you can do. And when you say something like that out loud, it sounds, it sounds like a positive. And it is an overwhelming positive statement, you know, saying, you know, you never know what you're capable of until the moment comes. But it's also positive and negative. In a positive way, like you never know if you're capable of like saving a baby from a brush fire until you're walking by the brush fire and there's a baby like, yo, and you're like, oh, I should save that baby. Then you know if you're capable of it. By the same token, you never know if you're capable of abandoning your family until the moment comes that you are, can feasibly abandon a family. You never know if you're going to be capable of neglecting a, you know, a pet or a loved one until that moment comes. And this is something that I've learned as I've gotten older. I have talked to people who have gone through divorces. I think that's probably the most common time that that springs up and it's something that you know as you get older when you're when you're young you know all your friends go through speed 16s they get their licenses you see it all around you then you get a little older and all your friends are getting married and you're seeing that then you get older and all your friends are having babies you're seeing that i'm kind of at that age now where i'm starting to see people who are getting divorced and i'm talking to people who are getting divorced and this is not just a veiled thing about my own personal situation this is other people i've talked to they look back at the person they married 20 25 30 years old and they look at that person and they think, I didn't know what that person was capable of. Because you don't imagine it. Maybe that person, although very similar to the person who they are today, they didn't have the opportunity yet to not pay bills. There were no bills. They didn't have the opportunity yet to not spend time with their kids. There were no kids. And there's no way to know that when you marry somebody. There's no way to know when you meet somebody even early on in your life, whether they're going to be capable of either positive or negative things when the time arises. All of us are in that boat. We don't know what we're capable of until the moment comes to prove what we're capable of. And that's something I've learned. And that's something with being great at something, about doing something. You don't know what it is until that moment comes. And I've tried to frame that in a positive way for my daughter. And I've tried to frame that in a positive way for me. But it's also in a negative way 
there are definitely moments of stepping up. Dude, my kid, my son, you know, is nonverbal and he has autism. There's definitely days where I'm taking care of him where I realize what I'm doing. Some days I don't. Some days I'm taking care of him and it's just life, you know, and I'm just like, whatever, but let's get ready. Let's do this. And I'm doing these things that I think anybody else who isn't in my situation would be like, oh my God, what is happening here? And sometimes it'll snap me out of it where I'll be like, wow, what's happening? You know, what are we dealing with right now? And I think a lot of parents with a child who has severe autism or special needs can relate to that, that we have those moments that yank us out of our personal reality into reality, reality. And I've been yanked into those moments. I've had those. And those are the times where I say to myself, wow, look, look what I'm capable of. And I wouldn't have known until he showed up. If you had asked me 20 years ago if I could do some of the things I'm, I'm doing to help him make his way through the world, I wouldn't have believed you. I would have been like, I can't. There's no way. That's how am I going to do that? You just do it. You just get up and you just do it and you move forward. And I don't know. I think it's, it's crazy. I think a lot of us, we look at the people who don't do those things and we look at the people who don't step up when the time comes and we think to ourselves, you know, how do they not realize what they're supposed to be doing and how do they not have a problem with being like hated? I do the things that I do for my kids and for the people I love because I can't imagine putting myself in a situation where somebody would, you know, strongly dislike me that I care about or, or hate me even, so to speak. But some people just don't care about that stuff. And I realized how, you know, hatred and people not caring about you is not really a big deal for people because in the grand scheme of things, it happens all the time. There are people who hate me that I probably don't even realize. There's people that I hate that don't even realize I hate them. Random people from elementary school who probably never thought twice about me, don't even know my name. People a year younger, a year older, who didn't do major things to me. Maybe they were rude. Maybe they were weird, you know? So like every once in a while, like Matt Dunleavy pop into my head. I hate Matt Dunleavy. Matt Dunleavy doesn't know who I am. Facebook every once in a while will be like, hey, do you know Matt Dunleavy? And I'll be like, yeah, Facebook. I know he's a jerk. But he doesn't care. It doesn't affect him. Life moves on. We're hated. We hate people. It is what it is. So in terms of being capable of things, in terms of negative things that you're capable of doing, and you think back, man, you rewind the clock and you look at a baby picture of Hitler or a serial killer, and you think, how is that baby capable of growing up to do these things? You have no idea. You don't know until the time comes. You don't know what you're capable of until the opportunity presents itself for you to do it. And that's it. That's all that life is. So you do the things you do. You find the things that you're good at. And you live and you grow and you move forward. That's what I tell my kids. That's what I tell myself. And that's what I try to do every day of my life. And hopefully I do. Hopefully the things that I'm capable of are positive. And I think, I think we all should really strive for that. We should look forward and try to do the things that are positive in terms of what we're capable of as opposed to the things that are negative. And if we could do that, we're in good shape. It's the best we could possibly do in the world around us. And that does it for me this week, guys. I'm James Gutman, and for Lucas to say, be well, bye pod, I'm Dad.